so tonight, we're going to look at the original setting of this story. And then we're going to talk about some of the characters that are involved here. And then finally at the end, I want us to say, okay, so, so what? What do we do with that? And hopefully you'll find that this passage and this parable, these two debtors, uh, applies pretty squarely, I would think, to all of us at some level. So if you'd grab your little uh, handout thing, uh, it's got the passage on there. We're going to read this text first. And then um, it's Luke chapter 7, in case you don't have one of those. Uh, We're going to begin in verse 36. It says this, One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he, Jesus, went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is God's word. Let's uh, give our attention to it. In religious circles in the first century, this setting was not all that uncommon. You see, people would get together and form kind of these religious societies and they would have guest lecturers and teachers come and talk to them and maybe give them a lecture of sorts. Sometimes they would do it after they would meet in the synagogue and they would retire to someone's house and sit around and eat a meal. And that's kind of what we have here. And Jesus, on this day, he was the invited guest. For we see later that this guy refers to him as a teacher or a rabbi. Jesus was the one that people were coming to listen to as they sat around this table. As um, One of the things that I studied in this, and I got a lot of this information from a guy named Kenneth Bailey. I'm just saying that for full disclosure. I didn't, um, I didn't do any original research. Kenneth wrote a ton of great stuff about this, and so I'm, I'm borrowing it from him. 
Um, but he said that we know from the first verse, in verse 36, what's going on. Because it talks about that they were reclining at this table. Now, when people, even in today's age, who live over in the Middle East, when they read this passage, they say, oh, this is some sort of formal, semi-formal kind of banquet occasion. And that's what the word recline at the table meant. And what that would, what that would look like um, is somewhat like... What you see in maybe some of your places you're from and some of the cultures, St. Louis, maybe, I, I don't know how formal St. Louis or Houston is, but definitely if you're from the South, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, and those places, you would get this, that when there was a dinner party of some sorts, there were certain rules and there were certain things that the host and the guests were expected to do. You just kind of do them. If you're a guest for a dinner party, you bring a bottle of wine or you bring some sort of token of appreciation to the host. It's just what you do. And this situation would have been no different. If it was this semi-formal kind of thing, there would have been all of these rules of this is what the guest does when he enters, this is what the host does once the guest enters. All of these things should have been happening. And we'll see in just a moment that some of these things don't. You see, first is that it says they were reclining at the table. And so I want to kind of put this picture for you up on the screen behind us so we can see what's going on. So as they sit at the table, everyone then would lay around the table. And you're going to love this. This is like, I sat there creating a circle and then straw man. It was awesome. Um, So, but this is what would happen. They would lay around this table on their left sides and their right legs would, their legs would go out behind them and they would eat with their right hands and they would just sit around this table and talk. So the people who are around the table are the distinguished people at this meal. And Jesus definitely would have been one of them, being the honored guest himself. But uh, beyond them would be the servants. The host would arrange for servants to be present to serve all the people there. And that would include all sorts of stuff. Certainly serving them the food, but also a very common practice would have been washing their feet. Now... Upon entering anybody's house in that culture, you would take your feet or you would take your shoes off or your sandals off. And they were disgusting, disgusting, nasty, awful. In fact, so disgusting and awful that in 2008, when President Bush, I don't know if you remember this or not, he was doing a news conference. And there was an Iraqi reporter who right in the middle of President Bush talking, got up and threw his shoes at President Bush. Because it, it, still in this day, it is the highest offense to touch someone with your shoes. They're so nasty. So that's what's going on. That's what should have been happening. People leave their shoes at the door and the servants were expected to wash feet. And so they would stand around and kind of walk around with a little basin and wash the people's feet as they were lying there. This, all this explanation will pay off in just a minute if you'll hang with me. Then behind uh, the servants even, there would be people from the community who would be welcomed in to kind of hear the discussion. Certainly they weren't partaking of the meal and they weren't formally part of it, but they could come and listen and be there and be a part of this. And even today in Middle Eastern culture, outside of the big cities, they still do things like this. Technology has not advanced that far in some of these cultures from the first century. And so some of the people who would read the Bible and read these parables would look up and say, oh, this is exactly what's going on, da, 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 and they'd list off all these things. And so we have a pretty clear picture of what was going on then. And so people from the community would be out there, and certainly that's where this woman would have been. 
She would have heard that Jesus was coming. And as we'll see later, Jesus says, from the moment I walked in, you have not stopped doing this. She was there in anticipation of Jesus. She heard that he was coming. She came to be there with him. And that's important. Okay. But here's the deal. Verse 36 is something that we would just pass over and be like, okay, they're there at the table. No big deal. Well, if you've ever been in a relationship uh, with a boyfriend or girlfriend, I'm in one now. I have been for six, six going on seven years. Same girl. Um, you know sometimes when uh, it's not the things that you do or say that, that hurt somebody, but sometimes it's the things you don't do or say that can be very hurtful and uh, you might end up in some sort of fight over. Well, that's kind of like here. It's not so much the things that this Pharisee named Simon did or said, although he did and said some pretty incredulous things, but it's some of the things he didn't do as the host of this party for his honored guest. And as we read this, the omissions are glaring for someone who gets what's going on. Uh, Bailey, the guy who I read, he says this. He says, the host failed to wash the feet of Jesus. Again, normally the servants would stand behind them and put a shallow basin on the ground and wash the feet. He says, to omit this courtesy would be to imply that the visitor was of inferior rank. So catch this. This guy invites Jesus, this great rabbi teacher, over to his house, doesn't wash his feet, which would then strike one, but then later he calls him rabbi. He calls him teacher. So he acknowledges that he's of some sort of esteem and position over him, but he intentionally doesn't serve him. He doesn't wash his feet. The Pharisee is up to something. He's up to something. And Jesus is about to give some sort of lecture that I promise he wasn't expecting. But that's not all. Jesus also received no kiss of greeting. Bailey goes on to say, To receive a guest at the present day without kissing him on either cheek as he enters is a marked sign of contempt. That even today in that culture, when you walk into someone's home, there are the kisses on the cheeks. Or for a a pupil and a teacher, you would raise the teacher's hand and you would kiss his hand. It's a sign of deference and respect. There was nothing. We see none of that in this passage until the woman enters the story. The Pharisee calls him rabbi. He was at the top of his profession, Jesus was. And yet he has shown none of those courtesies. So these omissions, though we may not get them, they are glaring and they form the backdrop, the, the backdrop, the fresco for what's about to happen. So let's see, in light of this, let's take a look at the woman in this passage. Let's look at the first, the woman's identity. Who is she? Well, the woman is said to be a woman of the city. She's a sinner in the city. She was a sinner plying her trade out in the city. Now, you'll have to bear with me for just a moment because it's not obvious there what this means, but we'll look at it. Just like the community gathered here was a religious community of sorts, this woman also had a community. She was known to be of the city. She was of that rank. And friends, that is not a rank that you wanted to be a part of. That was kind of the scum of the city in a sense. And she had been out in the city working You see where this is going. She is dwelling in the city, which, contrary to this religious community gathered here, the city itself is a very unreligious, 
very unclean, by standards in that day, a very unclean community. So that's who she is. Let's talk about what she does, her actions. This is going to be interesting for about three English majors in the room. (laughs) So for the rest of y'all, I'm getting some nods. Uh, Bear with me. This is what is called in English an inverted parallel. And writers and people who are familiar with poetry would do this to draw attention to certain aspects of a text or or a stanza or poetry, whatever it may be. And this is exactly what is going on here as Luke records this for us. And so what he does is that the passage records that this woman, three things are going on initially. It says that uh, she is standing, she's bringing perfume. She's bringing, she's standing, and she's weeping. Okay, so those are the first three, A, B, and C. But then the last three here, C prime, B prime, and A prime, is goes in reverse order. And this talks about what she does. So what does she do? Well, she brings the perfume. She's standing at his feet. She wets his feet with her tears. And then what does she do? She wipes his feet with her hair. Feet are disgusting. Y'all think we have it bad with crickets when you wear flip-flops? You ain't got nothing on some of the stuff they would have been bringing into the house. She is at his feet, getting past the servants just to touch Jesus' feet, to cleanse them. And then what does she do next? She starts kissing his feet. Ugh, right? Even in our day, I think I have pretty clean feet. Of course, everyone thinks they have clean feet. Um, That's disgusting. I would not kiss any of your feet. (laughs) Sorry. She starts kissing his feet. And in fact, the Greek word says... She kisses and kisses again. She is not stopping kissing his feet. She is showing her devotion to this man. And we'll see why. And then it says that she anoints his feet with this perfume. You're thinking, why would she have brought this perfume to a meeting like this? It's intentional, you see. She had come knowing that Jesus was going to be there. Knowing that she had something she wanted to give him. But she did. She would have never expected that this host wouldn't have washed his feet. And so she didn't bring a towel to dry his feet. So she makes up for what the host liked and she starts drying his feet with her hair. She's making up for his idiocy and his incompetence and his arrogance with her hair. And by doing all of these things that the host wouldn't do. So when we can accept that this woman was actually there when Jesus got there, it becomes clear why she starts doing these things. That whereas the host forgot, or not forgot, intentionally did not welcome Jesus as an honored guest, this woman knows whose presence she is in. And she cannot stop worshiping Him. She cannot stop showing her love and devotion to Him. Why is she doing this? We know from later on in the passage, and we'll talk about it in just a moment. We know from later on, as Jesus says, your sins, he uses a past tense there, past perfect, your sins have been forgiven. They have already been forgiven by the time she arrives. Y'all, this lady had encountered Jesus before. She had been in his presence before. She had heard him talk and offer forgiveness for sins. And she found life in that. She found hope. And so she has come expecting to see this person who has forgiven her sins. 
as Jesus acted on behalf of God and declares people's sins to be forgiven. She came expecting and overwhelmed at what this person had done for her. She came expecting to worship Him. So she, here she is with her perfume that she wants to pour out at His feet. Now, perfume in those days, for a woman of the city, she would carry her perfume around a necklace, a piece of rope of sorts, and it would hang down below her breasts, and it would sweeten her scent, the scent of her body, but also of her mouth. Now think with me for a second. If you're a woman who gains your wages from working in the city, if you're engaged in prostitution and luring people in that way, and that is what's going on, and we'll talk about it in just a second, then that would have been your livelihood. Attracting men to you, bringing them in by these smells and these perfumes would have been your livelihood. It would have been your advertisement. And what do we see her doing? She pours out her very livelihood at Jesus' feet. Why? Because, friends, she doesn't need it anymore. She's been forgiven by God and her life has been changed. This was her work. This was her profession. This is how she made a name for herself. Friends, she had been loved by the God of the universe. She willingly offers this up at His feet. I don't, that's hard for me, quite honestly. Um, I think of, I believe in Jesus. I believe that He's forgiven me from sin. I struggle greatly to give anything that I have that's dear to me over to Him. And if that's you, I just want to invite you into this struggle with me. And maybe we can talk about it together. This woman has no hesitancy. She gives her very livelihood at Jesus' feet. The host didn't give him a kiss. This woman can't, can't stop kissing his feet. She is devoted to him. She loves him. She is offering her love to the one who has offered his love and would soon offer his life for her. She got it. She got it. For Simon, though, this calculated snub of this young upstart rabbi wasn't quite going according to plan. He couldn't have foreseen this unfolding drama in front of him. He brought Jesus in to test him, not to create this worship service at his feet. And so what's Simon's response? Well, certainly you would think that a host upon seeing this would feel terribly embarrassed about the things he hadn't done. Oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I forgot to kiss your hand. Jesus, I'm so sorry. I forgot to wash your feet. Servants, wash his feet. Get the basins. That is not at all what we see Simon doing. He does something completely, completely unthinkable. And it says in verse 39 that he says to himself, we see that his real intent is really to expose Jesus. He hated Jesus. He didn't like that someone was coming and replacing his religion with something new. It's exactly what happens. And he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. 
Y'all, his language in his head is contemptuous. It doesn't even say this man in the Greek. It just says this. This. He doesn't, doesn't this know what is touching him? He doesn't even dignify Jesus in using his name. This, this thing over here. But perhaps even more than that, he says this woman who is touching him. This word is used throughout the Bible. It can mean either to touch or to, to start a fire. But when it means when it's used to mean touch, which is clearly used here, it often carries heavy sexual overtones. Doesn't always, but often. So you see what Simon is clearly trying to portray is that this woman, this sinner, is trying to to manipulate Jesus in that way. He's trying, she's trying to sexually make moves on Jesus. He's condemning her in his mind. He knows who she is. That's who she is. That's the kind of person that she is. Who else would let down her feet in the presence of many guests? This woman is filthy. She's touching him. But far from a sexual advance, again, this woman is reacting to the love that she has received, to the forgiveness that she's been shown, and the grace that has been offered to her. This woman got it. Again, she's repentant. She has changed. She is offering herself to Jesus. And I want to ask us all at this point, and I am not uh, withheld from this question. When was the last time you responded to the grace and love of God in that way? With a tangible change of something in your life? Perhaps never. Perhaps this story isn't true to you. Perhaps you're not a Christian. I wonder what it would be like to experience forgiveness. This woman had experienced that and she was changed. And Simon is angry at her. He's still, after all, calling her a sinner. A dirty one. A woman of the city. He doesn't accept what has happened to her and the forgiveness that is going on with her. And this is a big deal. Because if Simon and his friends, who were kind of the religious inner circle, if they didn't acknowledge that this woman was forgiven, then she couldn't enter into the religious society. She couldn't go to temple and worship. She couldn't go do this. And so as long as these people were saying she's still a sinner, then she was still on the outside. And so that's what this guy is saying, is that she's still on the outside. She can't be welcomed in. They are the gatekeepers. And this woman is certainly not one of us. She's one of them. She's one of those people. You know, the sinners, the dirty ones. So what does Jesus do? Well, if you'll look down, he turns to this Simon and he acknowledges and and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he tells in this parable, a certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. As I mentioned, sometimes the parables are short and the action is all around them. That's the case here. What we have to notice about the people in this, the debtors in this parable is that they are leveled in their inability to pay back the moneylender. 
Neither one of them can pay. The one who has a massive debt and the one who perceives or has a small debt. Neither one of them can pay the moneylender back. They are simply unable to do that. So for you, whether you perceive your sins to be great and many, whether you know that you have done many things to offend God and to offend others, or whether you think that you're pretty good and have done only a few things, then neither one of you can pay God back. Neither one of you can pay this money lender back. We're leveled at this. Jesus then asked Simon, says, Now which of them will love him more? Which will love the money lender more? And to this, Simon realizes he's been caught. And he says, well, I suppose the one who owed more. And Jesus says to him, you've judged rightly. And so at this point, we've got to see this Simon, this Pharisee, this religious person, this very good person in his own eyes, is contrasted with this very promiscuous woman. A woman of the city, a sinner of the city. And they are both brought into focus. And the woman is shown to be the one of noble character. While Simon starts falling away. And he is shown to be the one who is in the wrong here. And Jesus' point couldn't be more clear. But I want you to catch before we look at Jesus' final response to Simon. We have to notice that in this society... Women had, they were of such inferior rank. And it's really still the case in a lot of Middle Eastern and Eastern places today. They're hardly given any position in society. And what is Jesus doing? He is dignifying her. He is bringing her out into the open and affirming her in the light of this society that would otherwise have rejected her. He is dignifying the marginalized in society. And he still does it today. So what's Jesus' response? Well, he turns to the woman and he speaks to Simon, which is very interesting. And thus it's delivered in a sort of of praise for her. Rather than just slamming Simon, you can sense that he's kind of looking at the woman who we assume is still at his feet in some sort. And he's talking to Simon as he's looking at her. And he says this, You who failed in all of these duties, but she who took up for you this woman. Simon, do you see her? He had spent the whole afternoon collecting evidence against Jesus, and Jesus now draws all the attention to her. Jesus says, I entered your house, i.e., I came in under your roof. I was your guest. You were the host, Simon. You didn't do any of these things for me. And the details then state clearly, Something like this. This woman whom you despise has compensated magnificently for your failure. Simon didn't give him the water. This woman wets his feet with her tears. Simon didn't clean his feet with a towel. This woman does it with her hair. Simon didn't give him a kiss on his hand or his cheek. This woman starts kissing his feet. Simon failed in his appreciation for Jesus. This woman got it. This woman got it. Verse 47 is Jesus' response at the end here. It's a little confusing in your Bibles and the passage before you, so I'm going to summarize what this is saying to make it a little less confusing. 
It's saying this, Therefore I tell you, and I've put it up behind me, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. And because of this, she responded to me with much love. It's important to read the translation this way because of this. And we have to catch this. If you don't hear anything else I say tonight, please hear this. One's love for God does not warrant His forgiveness. You don't go to God saying, God, I love you. Will you forgive me? That is backwards. Jesus is saying that this woman has already been forgiven. And because of that, she has experienced the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. Because of that, what does she do? She responds in love. And she is willing to give everything she has for Him. Now look, some of us, maybe even many of us in here, may have thought about this backwards. That we have thought, God, I love you. Please forgive me. And if that is your attitude toward God, if that is your, the way you look at God, and that, if that is you, the way you perceive this relationship to work, then you will ever be trying to love Him more so that you can cover more and more sins in your life. But, if you can believe that God is a friend of sinners, that He comes to people who have 500 Denarian debt, who have 5,000, who have a lifetime of things they have done to transgress God's law and His holy and perfect will, and who have done all sorts of things to hurt others, whether through speech or actions or thoughts, whatever it is, if that is you, if you can perceive your need of forgiveness, then ask God to forgive you, and He will forgive you. He promises that He will. And He gave His Son Jesus as a guarantee of that. And if that has happened to you, then you will respond to God in love. You have to. And so as a litmus test, let me ask you this. And we'll close with this. Do you love God? Do you love God? I mean, not... not like your Sunday school answer from growing up, not the thing you know you're supposed to say when someone asks that. Do you actually care about God? Do you think about Him? Do you ever wonder what He would want you to do? Not just as a taskmaster, but God, how would you want me to live? If you love Him, then then you will obey Him. Then you will give what you have for Him. You will live differently. If you think you have to love Him to be forgiven, then you will not. And so this passage then is an invitation to both kinds of people. Whether you, like Simon, perceive that you only have a few things wrong, which is not the truth, you have many things wrong. Or whether you, like the woman, are known to have done many, many things. This passage invites you to Jesus and His forgiveness. And once you've been forgiven... Then you will respond in love. Let's pray.